The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Hope you had a great week and you're going to have a winning upcoming weekend. Uh, the guests that we brought on with you this evening, no strangers to Winning Ponies. So it's been a while since uh, I've had a chance to talk to both of them. Uh, Mary Rampolini, she's a correspondent and handicapper for the Daily Racing Forum. And uh, she's going to be joining me. We're going to take a look at uh, Prairie Meadows. Big night out at Prairie Meadows. Not one, not two, but three graded stakes races there. Uh, you've got the Iowa Oaks, the Iowa Derby, and the Cornhusker is run there. And then we're going to join another professional handicapper and author, Brad Free. He's the guy that wrote Handicapping 101, Finding the Right Horses and Making the Right Bets. And with Brad Free, we're going out to his stomping grounds Santa Anita, he's going to give us uh, updates on what's happening with America Pharaoh. And they got a slew of uh, graded stakes races there over the weekend. Uh, the grade one triple bend we'll look at. Uh, the grade two grassy royal heroine. And then the big one of them all, the gold cup at Santa Anita, a grade one. What a great rematch of the horses that ran in the California. And so uh, Mary Rampolini and Brad Free will be our guests. And if you had a good weekend, hopefully it's because you pulled down some of our easy win forms, had a good week. And, again, we uh, cover every track uh, with our system. Uh, for example, uh, Finger Lakes the other day, a $1 super key, paid $2,300. Then uh, down along the Jersey Shore, if you went to Monmouth and played the $1 super and race four on the 21st, 2351 Staying on... Uh, that neck of the woods, go drive over to Delaware, and a $1 Super Key returned $2,175. Mountaineer gave us a $1 Super Key of over 1500 And not to forget our folks out west, Los Alamitos, a $2 pick six, 1180 So I'm glad you listened to Winning Ponies, but I want you to go on their site and pull down their products because they will get you to the cashier's line. Okay, well, we'll talk to Brad Free a little bit about this, but American Pharaoh is going to parade for the fans on Saturday. He's going to go through the paddock and on the racetrack between races uh, this Saturday, uh, between the 7th and 8th races. Uh, so if you're out there on the West Coast, about 4.30, you want to be at Santa Anita, get your camera out. They were great with him at Churchill two weeks ago, and I'm sure this horse that never turns a hair will be happy to uh, strike uh, poses for you. Uh, he will be walking in front of the clubhouse into the winner's circle for a little ceremony. And uh, Baffert ensures everybody that people will 
get a good look at him. They're saying that right now that he's back there. Uh, he's just galloping right now at this stage of his training, but according to Bob Baffert, he looks healthy. He's getting his weight back. He was lighter. That's normal. So uh, once he starts breathing, he's going to know a little bit more. So um, basically this weekend, Sunday, is the final day of the spring-summer meeting at Santa Anita. And uh, then the Los Alamitos two-week summer meet begins on Thursday. Now, uh, to pick this up off the line, American Pharaoh and Victor Espinoza are nominated to the ESPYs. So uh, now, remember this, fans can vote for American Pharaoh, the first horse ever to be nominated to the Best Championship Performance Category. So vote for the 2015 ESPYs. Um, again, the ESPYs stand for Excellence in Sports Performance Yearly. Uh, it's going to be uh, July 15th at 8 o'clock uh, out there in L.A. So uh, American Pharaoh, our heroes, going up against uh, uh, the World Series MVP, Madison Bumgardner, and the Women's College World Series MVP, Lauren Hager, and LeBron James. So American Pharaoh is no slam trunk <laughs> dunk. Uh, Victor Espinoza, he's going to... Uh, uh, get the award for Best Jackie in 2014, and he could take his third ESPY. Now, he got one all the way back in 2002. Now, it's kind of interesting because a horse has never been nominated to the Best Championship Performance category. Uh, some have been nominated for other performances, uh, Blame, Zenyatta, Giacomo, Fleet, Alex. So uh, despite those nominations, a horse has never won an ESPY since the inception of the awards in 2004. Well, American Pharaoh, everybody wants a piece of them. If you've been um, going online or picking up your racing form, you'll see that almost every week there's another track throwing money at the connections. And what they want to do now is Naira, the Horsemen's Association, could push the Traverse Stakes to $2 million in an effort to draw American Pharaoh into the race. Uh, the New York Horsemen would be willing to put up an additional $750,000 for the purse of the Travers to lure that Triple Crown winner to Saratoga. I'm sure there's a lot of my friends in upstate New York that would love to see that happen. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of high-stakes competition among the racetracks for an appearance by American Pharaoh. Now, Rick Violet, who's been on our, our show before, he's the president of the Horsemen's Association said that if they do boost it, he expects that uh, they're going to get the first $750,000 from the Horsemen's purse account uh, from the revenue generated on Travers Day. So they're willing to take the risk and put up the money, but they'd like to have some of it back. Well, how about my man Wesley Ward? That's right, former leading apprentice jockey in the United States turned international trainer. He did it again taking down his biggest Royal Ascot prize yet as undrafted won the Group 1 Diamond Jubilee Stakes on the closing day. The Diamond Jubilee was worth almost $473,000. And uh, he, uh, Frankie DeTore was, was up on the horse and uh, just, uh, just truly, truly amazing that Ward can go over there and almost every year come away beating all of those uh, European horses. Undrafted's a five-year-old. He's by Purin, and he's owned by Wes Welker and his partner, Saul Kuman. That was his fifth win in 20 starts. So congratulations to Wes Ward and Undrafted taking down the Group 1 Diamond Jubilee 
at Royal Ascot. Now, I'm sure we mentioned it last week, but California Chrome was scratched last week, uh, intending to go in the Prince of Wales stakes, and it sounds to me like California Chrome most probably is going to be on a plane and, and heading back home. Hopefully the, uh, the bruise on his foot is, is healing well. It was nothing too serious, but something that definitely cost him training time and you didn't want to risk it in a race. All right, well, last year's upsetter in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, Texas Red. They wanted to give him a true training test last week. Uh, he's tuning up for the half-a-million-dollar Dwyer Stakes at Belmont Park on the 4th of July. Trainer Keith DeSormo sent him out for a mile workout in front of the public between the 4th and 5th races at Santa Anita. Uh, he went the last half in 48-3, the last 8th in 11-2. and two. That's why we do these things. It gets your adrenaline pumping, said DeSormo. So that's good news that Texas Red is back to his winning ways, and he's going to be heading towards New York to try to take up uh, some, of, some of the heavy hitters over there. Uh, he's going to head over there on July 1st. So good luck to his connections. And congratulations to Jersey Joe Bravo, who dominated Ohio last week. He won Jockey of the Week. Uh, he took the call for the first time on Mr. Z for D. Wayne Lucas. And I hope you had a chance to watch that race. Uh, so congratulations to Joe Bravo. Uh, the award, of course, is voted on a panel of experts for riding accomplishments by members of the Jockeys Guild that represents more than 950 riders in North America. Now, uh, as far as Bravo's week, uh, he had six wins from just 14 starters and boosted his all-time tally to 5,014 wins, putting him in 30th place. For the week, Bravo won six of his 14 mounts and led all riders in earnings with a total of $416,000. want to give a shout-out to some of our friends in the Blood Horse and the Daily Racing Forum, uh, people that we've had regularly on Winning Ponies. It's uh, the uh, American Horse Publishers Annual Awards uh, that will be held in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, the Blood Horse got uh, first place in equine-related publishing media website. Our friend Tom Lamara, online content manager, Ron Mitchell, Claire Novak, uh, we've all had them on Winning Ponies on a regular basis. In uh, second place, uh, the uh, they won for journalism for Waiting and Waiting, the Crowning Glory by Frank Angst, who's been on the show numerous times. And in third place, uh, editorial action photograph for Off the Floor, good friend of mine, Ann Eberhardt. And... Now, to mention our friends at the Daily Racing Forum, Matt Haggerty won the top prize for news reporting in a single article from the American Horse Publications Awards Banquet on Saturday. His piece was Indiana Vets Case Draw Scrutiny, very well detailed and well researched. Also, Nikel Russo, that writes for the Daily Racing Forum, won the second prize in the category of event coverage. And, and uh, we congratulate her, Jay Havday, who's been on the show, won third place in the category. And our friend Marty McGee, who I got to see over the weekend. He came up here to Cincinnati. Uh, Requiem for a racetrack. I was uh, the photographer on that assignment. Uh, he covered the closing of Beulah Park. All right, well, I mentioned the race. Got to talk about it. Our friend Rich Ng was on with us last week from Las Vegas. We took a look at the Ohio Derby. Not a graded stakes race this year. I kind of uh, went off the calendar a little bit as the purses got cut over the last few years. 
but now being fueled by some casino money. Half a million dollars on the line. Hope you got to watch it from North Randall, Ohio. And the winner was a horse eligible for non-winners of two. That's right, Mr. Z, who's been knocking on the door his whole career but can't get in. A winner of one win going into the race had earnings of 697000 It was a three-horse photo finish. Mr. Z got the job done under 10 sender. You had to throw out his derby, took the blinkers off. George Weaver, good job, just missed. And in the third spot was Divining Rod, uh, who came out of a third-place finish in the Preakness Stakes. Just an excellent, excellent effort. And congratulations, the coach does it again. D. Wayne Lucas, Mr. Z, owned by Calumet Farm, gets the job done. Okay, then uh, we went out to uh, Santa Anita uh, for the summertime oaks, and this turned into a two-horse battle down through the lane. Odds-on favorite, Stellar Wind, who was shuffled back in the Kentucky Oaks. She looked like the standout favorite, but let me tell you, this lightly raced Tara's Tango uh, was not just going to hand it over to her. Uh, Trained by Jerry Hollendorfer, put in one heck of a run. Actually had the lead, but uh, Stellar Wind put the nose in front at the wire after being wide on the turns. Again, that was the Summertime Oaks Grade 2 at Santa Anita. And then over on the East Coast, it was Dame Dorothy, horse I liked in the Better Roses handicap. She got the job done. This horse is owned by Bobby Flay. Always good for the sport when we have celebrities involved in racing. Of course, we pointed out the things about this horse uh, coming out of a grade one win, three for three at the distance. Uh, Pletcher, 37%, could rate off the speed. Always had gaps in its training, but Dame Dorothy got the job done in New York. Uh, second was Street Story, and third was Expression. Okay, that's a look at what's happening on the national racing front and our results from last week. In a minute, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to Prairie Meadows with our friend Mary Rampolini. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neill. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? 
Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me from the Daily Racing Forum, a writer and a handicapper, uh, Mary Rampolini, a native of Hartford, Connecticut, who has found herself about as far as way you can get. She kind of covers a lot of the southwestern uh, racing action for the Daily Racing Forum. Mary, welcome back to Winning Ponies. Hi, John. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm in air conditioning, so I feel very good right now. I had to uh, attend to several uh, groups at the races today, and it was it was a balmy day in the Cincinnati area, to say the least. Um, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. It's getting hot here here in Texas, too, so air conditioning is nice this time of year. Now, um you know, I've been I've been asking all of my guests, even though it's uh, it's happened a couple of weeks ago, um, the excitement that uh, American Pharaoh has kind of uh, brought to to racing, and it's fun. People that I know that aren't in racing circles are even asking me questions about this horse. Um, where were you when when you got to see after a 37 year drought, American Pharaoh take down the Triple Crown, and what was the feeling like? Yes, John. I I uh, made a deliberate decision, and and after getting permission from work, I went to my parents' house to watch the race because I wanted to be a- around my dad, who's a longtime trainer, and my mom. And uh, so we watched the race together, and that was very special. Like you said, there was a, a lot of history on the line, and this is a horse that gives you a lot of quiet kind of kind of confidence it's like a quiet confidence i felt really really strongly as many did that he would do as well as he did and uh so it was just a great feeling to be surrounded uh by people you love watching it i think a lot of people whether whether they're fellow fellow racing fans or family i think you wanted to be around people that love the game as much as you do well mary that 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 says a lot about you as a person i think that's very very cool that you wanted to share that moment uh, with, with your family. Well, my next question is, is uh, what was the volume level at the Rampolini household? <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> I got the kick out of it because my sisters came over too. Um, and uh, they were, they were screaming. And uh, I, I, I looked over and watched my dad's reaction and mine. And we were very quiet because we were confident he was getting it done and, more kind of just taking in the stretch run, but I have to say my mom and my sisters were uh, were hooping it up. Well, it was great. I've talked to so many people, and uh, you know, it's like yeah, one of those uh, milestones. Where were where were you when blank happened? And all I can tell you is, is I was at the track, not not at Belmont. I was I was here in Cincinnati, and I mean the windows of the press box were shaking. We have a huge video uh, board on the infield, and it was just so great to see. You know, local fans getting so involved on a national level, and I'm sure we, just like Belmont, you know, didn't have 90% of our $2 tickets cashed, uh, everybody going away with a little bit of a souvenir. But it, it was pretty good, and, you know, I was talking with Jenny Reese last uh, week, and uh, w- the thing that she emphasizes, not only is this a great horse, but this horse couldn't be in better hands as far as people that aren't afraid to give access to the public. I think that's been a beautiful thing that I've been, been you know, following uh, through the daily racing form coverage. And, and on Twitter, 
that there is such access to this horse and uh, the uh, connections, Zayat Stables, Bob Baffert, Victor Espinoza, they've been so generous not only with the horse but also financially to different charities and stuff. So yes. it's, just, it's just a wonderful thing that this is something that everybody feels they have a piece of. Everyone feels like they're sharing in this experience, and that's because of the generosity of the connections. And, of course, the horse has the personality to do that as well. Um, so that's a good thing, you know, that the horse has been so kindly uh, to all the attention and handles it as well as he does. And so it's it's been a fun run, and um, that is a wonderful thing. Uh, you, you, when you get close to a horse and feel a horse, you can really feel something for the game. Oh, and it was, it was neat. You know, when I was back there, you know, little girls were coming up and getting their picture taken with them, and then big guys like John Asher were more than happy to, to jump in and get their picture taken. And I got to announce earlier on the show that uh, both American Pharaoh and Victor Espinoza are nominated to ESPYs, which is good because it brings our sport off the, you know, the sports page and, and into the national light. You know, you don't have to go looking for racing if they're putting it on ESPN. Yeah, it's, it's, cu- it's coming out the backstretch gates, out of the grandstand gates, and into the into the streets for sure. Absolutely. Well, I, I certainly wish him luck because despite other horses being nominated, no horse has ever won an ESPY. So I'll keep our fingers crossed. And we r- remind our listeners that you vote on the ESPYs. So uh, go go get on the ESPN, find the ESPY uh, link, and vote for um, American Pharaoh. So I, I think it, it's great for the game and i'm looking forward to it it'll be interesting i know there's a lot of discussions about what road he's going to take uh, to keeneland hopefully he'll get there uh but everybody's throwing money at him uh, left and right so um th- they're not they're not going to go broke promoting this horse i can tell you that it's exciting there's a lot to pay attention to like you said to see what goes on from from here forward so that makes it fun too and and uh, hopefully uh all the people that joined in for the belmont stakes to join racing for the first time We'll continue this ride with us all. Absolutely. Well, uh, Mary, I know uh, that uh, the, the Prairie Meadows is going to have a really big night. And it's funny, normally when I go to a place, I'll just say, you know, some of your stopping grounds, Evangeline or Fairgrounds or something, uh, when, when, when they kind of have a, you know, a big night, it, it's, you're usually comparing apples to apples, horses that have been in that general area that have been racing against each other. But as I handicap the three races we're going to look at at Prairie Meadows, uh, we're definitely comparing apples to oranges because these horses are coming in from all over the place. Uh, we'll start with the Iowa Oaks. It's a grade three. Uh, we've got the top three uh, from the local prep, which I believe was that uh, the Panthers stakes. Um, and, but you've still got horses, you know, that are coming in from, from, from Belmont, uh, Pimlico, Churchill Downs. Makes for an interesting cast of characters there. This would be the fifth race at Prairie Meadows, uh, Iowa Oaks, 200000 on the line. It is a very diverse cast, and I, I enjoyed uh, handicapping, handicapping the race, John. And I, I thought that, uh, for me, the, the chief players appeared to be Pangburn, Page, Sarah Sis, and I'll be interested to see what Sweet Success does. But there's a lot of interesting horses in this race. Uh, absolutely, and you 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 hit on the main ones that I've got my color for color codes on. Um, number one, in my opinion, and then I'll ask you yours. It would would be sure. uh, Sarah Sis. Uh, kind of got a local dog in this fight. Uh, Julio Felix is a personal friend of mine that's been a journeyman his oh. whole life, and he's had he's had a 
cut out a pretty good career for himself. You know, he's he's probably on the the 17th fairway, but uh, you know, he's picked up the mound on this horse. Obviously, he didn't get it in the Kentucky Oaks, but he got it back in the Oaks. Gary Stevens just said he felt something was wasn't right, and she was pulled up and vanned off. But then I I forget the exact thing, but it was basically she just kind of it was some kind of muscle or she tied up or something like that. Great of Gary to to back off her, but certainly she got back on track uh, uh, having the run over the local prep, uh, went wire to wire in the mile. This race will be a mile and the 16th, but since then, uh, shipped back to uh, Chicago and put it in a bullet work best of 27. I just think when you look at the class and the competition that this that the horses in this field have faced, that, that Sarah Sis might have a slight edge. Oh, after saying that, one guy I never trust, who I know personally that won his first race back when I was working at Little Old River Downs, is Kenny McPeak. He's got pang burn, and it's hard to throw out anything McPeak puts in the starting gate at any level. Sure, and I, um, I, I went with pang burn in this spot, John, and I, I like this filly. I had a chance to, to watch her a little bit at Oaklawn this year, and I, I do think she's a quality filly. She's getting back on the dirt. Last time on the turf, she faced Lady Eli, so um, <laughs> that's not an easy task, and that was also Pangburn's first start on the grass. But she's done her best work on the dirt. She's back on it, and she'll be first Lasix. I, I think she's a filly that might get a nice kind of stalking trip in here. Um, Paige is another interesting filly. She's also getting back on the dirt uh, where she's done her best work. And uh, she'll be stretching back out in distance, and you know she's grade one placed at two turns, so so that should serve her well. I, I thought she's a very interesting filly in here. Sarah Sis, of course, merit res- merits respect. She's she's proven at this grade three level. She's a grade three winner. She's a nimble, uh, athletic filly. She's she's a nice filly. She's a very nimble, athletic type of filly. And of course, uh, like you mentioned, uh, she won the prep here at Prairie. Well, let's move forward then to the Derby, the Iowa Derby, grade three, quarter million on the line. It's not a mile and a quarter. It's only a mile and a sixteenth. And, you know, we're, I talked earlier in the show about Bobby Flay uh, winning in New York last week. We got a Toby Keith homebred in here, Hillbilly Royalty, who I think has got a huge shot after a very easy win in the Prairie Mile, the prep for this race. Yes, another another nice horse that uh, was based at Oaklawn this winter, which I cover Oaklawn, and um, I agree with you. He looks like he's a major player in this spot, along with a couple of other horses. I thought Private Prospect, Bent on Bourbon, was interesting. Um, but uh, Hillbilly Royalty, I agree with you, looks like, uh, you know, a big player here. Yeah, I, I didn't get to see the race. I've got to go back and watch the video, but I did read some things about it, and I, and I, I do believe that uh, Louis Quinones kind of eased up on Hillbilly Royalty after he had a four-length lead into, into the lane. So I think he, he left something uh, you know, in, the, in the tank. I guess some of the other players in there that you, that you can't throw out, they're coming from all over the place. you got Tom Amos coming in with a horse that's hardly done anything wrong his career, never been off the board with uh, Lucky Stranger, though you don't get many shippers from Thistle to Prairie Meadows. But uh, also uh, uh, Javier Castellano with this lightly race bent on bourbon could be a factor. 
And uh, I would have to say if I had to make a second pick, it would, might be paid admission, uh, who was also in, in, that, in that prep race. They say he closed willingly, but Hillbilly Royalty, I think, was the standout in the prep for sure. Well, they're telling me that I only got about two minutes left, and uh, I don't want to rush uh, Mary Rampolini. So we'll go to the Cornhusker Handicap, now run at Prairie Meadows, a mile and an eighth. Again, the top three out of the local prep. But the horse I think you've got to watch in here is Carve. He only raced once at Prairie Meadows, and it just happened to be the Cornhusker last year, which he won by a neck. Yes, uh, Carve is coming out of the Lone Star Park Handicap, and um, his trainer, Brad Cox, was really uh, thrilled with how he was training up to that race. Uh, During the course of the card, uh, there was a delay, a rain delay. We got hit with very, very heavy rain that afternoon at Lone Star. Those are very difficult conditions on the Lone Star Park Handicap card. Uh, he made a nice run at the winner, Majestic City. Uh, I think uh, as high as Brad Cox was on him going into that last race, I'd like to see this horse through. And uh, like you said, he's the defending champion here. He's go- he'll go over a million dollars in earnings uh, with a victory uh, Saturday night. So he's an interesting horse. Golden Loud's a horse that wins on the road. He's a horse that can win on the road. Um, coming off a win at a mile and an eighth, he's, he's always to be respected, as is Tapature, who comes out of that same Lone Star Park handicap, same tough conditions as Carve that afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tapature, a little bit of a head-scratcher, though. He, he looked like such a powerful horse uh, last season, uh, winning the grade three Matt Wynn, and then hanging on for that uh, game effort over Candy Boy in the West Virginia Derby. But that's the last time he won a race. Other than that, he, you know, not that he's been any kind of slouch. He was in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, second to Golden Sense, so he's had some competition. But it just seems like some of the shine has come off his apple. I, I think the best of his season is before him. And, yes, I want to see him recapture that good form, too. This is a beautiful animal, first of all, and a talented horse. And, like I said, I think he's coming into his, his season now, moving forward. Well, uh, Mary Rampolini, I want to thank you so much for your insight, your time, and uh, sharing that uh, that personal story of uh, you witnessing the Triple Crown with uh, with your dad, the trainer, your sisters, and your mother, a very special moment. And I think you're a special person for taking a day off work and wanting to be with your family to uh, experience the first Triple Crown in 37 years. Yeah, it was exciting, John, and I enjoyed the press box story from you. It's nice to hear the walls shake at the track. <laughs> Absolutely. We need a lot more of that here in North America. We've been talking with Mary Rampolini and breaking down all those graded races that are going to take place at Prairie Meadows on Saturday. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit, go a little bit farther out west, go to Santa Anita, and with us, noted author and handicapper Brad Freeze is going to be with us. We're going to take a little bit break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. Crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with us, Brad Free, who's based in Southern California, is going to join us right now. He also got Santa Anita, Del Mar, Fairplex. And just the other day, I was rummaging through some books, and I looked down and it's uh, Handicapping 101, Finding the Right Horses and Making the Right Bets. I said, man, if I ever go out to the West Coast, I could get Brad to autograph this thing for me. So with no further ado, Brad Free, how are you doing? John, I'm doing great out here in uh, warm, humid, uh, sunny Southern California, also known as the home of American Pharaoh, right here at Santa Anita. We just wrapped up the Thursday card here at Santa Anita, carry over into tomorrow into pick six. And American Pharaoh stable just about a quarter mile away from where I'm sitting right here. And he rolled into town uh, last Thursday. When he left California in spring, John, he was a Kentucky Derby Hopeful. That's all he was. He was a candidate to maybe win the Kentucky Derby when he got back home one week ago today to a throng of uh, celebrities and media down at Bob, trainer Bob Baffert's barn. He arrived with a police escort, a huge van with his name plastered across the side, and American Pharaoh Triple Crown winner. First Triple Crown winner in 37 years. And it was pretty cool to see him come off the van and all the people just gathered around, ooing and aahing at this magnificent racehorse. And, 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 and I genuinely share your enthusiasm, though I've been around him a lot recently at his second home, which is uh, down uh, at Churchill Downs. And I, I will tell you, from being around the horse and the people associated with it, I mentioned it early when I, I was on with, with Mary, that uh, the horse probably couldn't be in better hands as far as a PR standpoint for us. Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, not only uh, trainer Bob Baffert has been over backward to accommodate the media, and so has jockey Victor Espinoza, and, of course, the Zayat family, the owners and breeders of American Pharaoh. But the bottom line is this. It's all about the racehorse. And if the racehorse could not handle the attention and all the notoriety that is all the camera cameras going off all the noise around him the crowds uh you know i don't think that uh, they would probably be quite as accommodating but this is a very special racehorse not only is he fast and good and full of class but he can handle a crowd just about as well as his connections can well you know what's interesting too is you go back and, and, and you've got to take your hat off to Baffert because you look at this horse's running line and it's one, 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 except for his first race. And who but Bob Baffert could figure out, well, let me make a couple changes here. Taking the blinkers off, think I'll switch riders, and how about I put in some earplugs? I mean, the combination of those three things, the horse has been unbeatable ever since. But to, to, to be able to figure those little nuances out to get the best out of your horse, a tip of the cap uh, to Mr. Baffert. 
Well, he knew that he had the goods before American Pharoah made his debut last summer at Del Mar, and that's one reason why he went off as the 7-5 to five favorite first time out. Uh, expectations were high for him that day, but he lost his cool in the post-parade. He washed out. He just completely came unraveled, and he got into a duel, and he chucked it. But as you mentioned, those, those equipment changes with the cotton in his ears, the blinkers off, a switch to Victor Espinosa, who was actually just kind of fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, and American Pharoah has never looked back. Seven straight wins, back-to-back grade ones last year as a two-year-old. I was surprised, actually, that he was named champion two-year-old. I voted for him, but I thought that the Breeders' Cup winner, Texas Red, might get a few more votes than he did. I think that uh, the voters made the right choice, picking American Pharoah as champion two-year-old, and then he picked up right where he left off this spring with a couple of blowout wins at Oakland Park, and then, boom, right straight through the Triple Crown. So he has accomplished a, a very rare feat in racing, and uh, it, it remains to be seen how great this horse is, but we do know this, he's accomplished a great feat already. He certainly has, and I'm going to a- ask you this question, because I ask everybody, where were you, and what was the atmosphere when he captured the Triple Crown? I was at the exact same place where I watched him win the Kentucky Derby. I get together with a uh, bunch of my buddies uh, who were in my wedding party nearly 40 years ago, and we get together every year on Kentucky Derby Day, and we have a giant party up at uh, my friend's house. In fact, we had our, I shouldn't even mention this, but we have our own paramutual pool on uh, Kentucky Derby Day. It's completely illegal, but I don't really care that uh, if there's a law enforcement officer out there that uh, has a problem with that, no big deal. We had about $1,000 in the paramutual pool, and some guy up there calculating the odds, and I, I was not planning on participating in, the, in that pool at all, but it was about two minutes to post American Pharaoh, who I did not pick on top. He was 8-1, to one, so I had to go up and uh, shovel a few bucks uh, his way, knocked his odds virtually in half and watched him win the Kentucky Derby uh, with a a pace-pressing trip. Five weeks later, I was in the exact same spot. We had about 100 people up in the party on Kentucky Derby Day, but on Belmont Stakes Day, it was myself and my four closest friends, and we watched it together, huddled around the TV set, and uh, just just you know had a, had a treat of a day watching the first Triple Crown winner since 1978. That that's a great story. We're talking with Brad Free from the Daily Racing Forum. Well, uh, he's our uh, DRF guy out on the West Coast that I, I reach to out on on occasion. I try not to empty the well, but uh, you got some really good races when I look at the calendar this week, and they're out there in your neck of the woods, so I'm going to reach out to you. Hopefully before our first break we can uh, get to the, the, the Triple Bend. Now the Triple Bend is a, is a seven furlong race, uh, grade one, 300,000 on the line, and uh, I, whenever I have a seven furlong race, the very first place my eye takes me to in the daily racing form is the distance line, because there seem to be some horses that are just cut out for not quite a mile, but they could use more than six furlongs. And my eye right now goes to one of the three that came out of the Kona Gold, and that would be Sahara Sky, who's ridden by my friend Rafael Bayarano. Nine starts at seven furlongs, three wins, three seconds for wins of over a half a million dollars. I don't know if that's the way you cap it, but when I get to a seven furlong race, that has a strong spot for me. 
Well, there's no doubt that seven furlongs might be one of the premier specialty distances in all of racing. Uh, seven furlongs, it's, it's one of those in-betweener distances. You, you have to have speed. You have to be quick enough to sprint, but you also have to have some stamina. And over the course of his career, Sahara Sky has done very well, but he's now seven years old. He's not real quick early. And even though he ran well last time out in the Kona Gold, um, I, I'm just thinking that at age seven, maybe his best days are behind him. I loved him in uh, 2000 when he won the Met Mile back in 2013 and was up to defeat cross traffic by a nose. But ever since then, to, I don't know, to me, he seems like he's lost a little bit of juice off his fastball and he just doesn't quite seem to be the same horse. And I like an up-and-comer who has that same specialty distance preference and he's only tried it once and that's masochistic. One for one at seven furlongs, and he was the pace pressing winner of the Kona Gold. And that's one of the things I like about him is I know that he will be positioned in front of Sahara Sky turning for home. And I think there's only one other serious pace rival that he has to deal with, and that's the same pace rival that he put away last time, and that's number two, San Onofre, who probably will set the pace. I expect Masochistic to sit second. He'll get first run, and I believe that he can hold off Sahara Sky. I have nothing but respect for. Sahara Sky is the most accomplished horse in the field, 8 for 22 with more than a million dollars in earnings. But I'm just not convinced that he is back to the brilliant form that he displayed a couple years ago winning the Met Mile when he was arguably the best one-turn horse in the country. Well, you, you, you make a good point, and uh, I guess that's the one line I didn't really give a whole lot of emphasis uh, was, was his age. But I'll tell you what, he, he's in a master's hands. Uh, you, you've had a lot of chances uh, to watch horses uh, coming out of the Jerry Hollendorfer for barn, and that guy's such an amazing horseman. And the other thing is, is I have so much respect for buyer numbers. Man, the 100s just jump off this horse's uh, page. But again, some of those go as far back as to 2013. So, Brad, you, you may have a good point. But uh, for his comeback race, I don't think it was a bad one. You pointed out the fact that uh, Masochistic may just sit off the speed of uh, San Onofre, if I'm saying that right. Um, I just don't know if uh, potentially those two could get hooked up in a speed duel. And uh, Sahara Sky, with that extra half a furlong, may forget that he's seven years old. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. The horse, you know, it was a good comeback race. It was his first start in, in a year, virtually, and he ran well. He only got beat a length, and it was a total prep, and the race was dominated by horses that were 1-2 all the way around. Uh, Sahara Sky closed from last. Finished third by only a length in, in a race that did not set up well for his closing kick. Now, it, it, just, it appears to me that the, the exact same scenario will unfold on Saturday in the triple bend. You have the same two speed horses, maybe one other. Appealing tail, not sure how quick he is in a, in a sprint. I know that he can be affordably placed around two turns, but going one corner, I'm not sure that he's going to be up there with Santa Nofre and Masochistic. So to me, it looks like it just looks like the, a replay of the Kona Gold at six and a half furlongs. Masochistic has been pointed for the triple bend ever since then. I did think it was interesting that Rafael Bayerano, who has been the regular rider for Wild Dude and has only ridden Sahara. Harris guy once he takes the Harris guy so maybe maybe Bayerano thinks that uh Harris guy's a little bit better horse uh, than than Wild Dude and Wild Dude has some pretty outstanding credentials of his own he has good numbers all the way through and he probably has a little bit more tactical speed than Harris guy but Wild Dude will be ridden by Flavian Prod who is a terrific uh 
young new jockey out here in Southern California, Bayerano sticks with Sahara Sky, and this is a good race. I mean, there, there's there's a couple others in here that actually have a look as well. Holy Loot, if he can handle dirt, I know that he's good enough, but I'm not sure that a conventional dirt surface is his preferred footing. You have Appealing Tail going route to sprint for Red Hot Peter Miller, number one Blue Tone also going route to sprint, and he'll be coming from behind. But I think that the race boils down to the two front runners, and those are Santa Nofre and Masochistic. All right. Well, you're listening to the analysis from Brad Free, our man on the West Coast out at the Daily Racing Forum. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and we come back. We're going to go on the grass in the Royal Heroin and then go to one of the most renowned races on the American landscape, the Gold Cup at Santa Anita. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the triple crown breeders cup travers haskell or your daily races don't worry let winningponies.com make some money for you your internet flagship station for sports sports you're tuned in to winning ponies with your host john Engelhart. got a tip for us need a tip from us if you want to talk with john or his guests the phone lines are now open toll free at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com now back to winning ponies with john Engelhart. All right, and with me from the Daily Racing Forum, uh, Racing's Bible, uh, just like uh, the top three out of the Kona Gold uh, are, go- are going to post in the Triple Bend, uh, we've got four horses uh, coming out of the non-furlong grade one gamely stakes that are going to be going to post in the Royal Heroin. It's a grade two one mile on the turf, so Brad, it's very important that, that we talk to you because you were there to, to watch the gamely and uh, tell me what you thought of the outcome. Hard not to like, won't be in with this group, though she is one talented runner. So the horses that finished just behind her are, uh, are we looking in this race for a horse that came out of the gamely, or is there somebody I overlooked? Yeah, I think that's the logical way to go. And the, the weird thing about the game is it unfolded at such a, a just a crawling pace. There was virtually no speed in the race whatsoever. And jockey Tyler Bays on Bling is my thing. His hand had to be forced early. He and trainer Eric Jack talked about strategy going into the game. Lead. They recognized that there was a complete and total lack of pace, and so they decided to put Bling is my thing into the race early. That is not her preferred running style. She still ran well. She was battling for the lead in mid-stretch and finished third by less than one length. It was a good effort under compromising conditions, but everything changes on Saturday in the Royal Heroin. It's a shorter distance, and there's a enough speed in here to flatter her closing kick. 
Bird Lover has speed. Mangita has speed. Vanticola will be forwardly placed, and the filly on the outside, one more. So that's four front runners slash pace pressers that should ensure a legitimate pace. And I expect Bling is my thing and to take back, maybe sit mid-pack or farther back and come blasting home. Is she good enough to win this race? Yeah, she is, but so are half a dozen others in this field. This is the toughest race on the entire 10-race Gold Cup card. It's without a doubt the toughest of the four graded stakes races. I pick Bling as my thing because she's in form, she fires every time, and I know that she will get the pace to run at. But Fanticola, who's the 7-2 favorite on the morning line, she's going to appreciate the distance turn back. They tried to stretch her out to a mile and one quarter, two starts back, she lost by a nose. She went a mile and one-eighth last time out. She lost by a neck. Now she's shortening up to a mile. She will be forwardly placed. She does not require the lead. She's one of these front-runner pace pressers that also has some versatility about her. And if somebody wants to get crazy up on the front end, jockey Joe Talamo has the option of taking Fanticola just off the pace. She's perfectly fine with a target to run at. And she probably can trip out as the best of any of these 10 fillers or mares. She's the 7-2 favorite on the morning line. But I still like that closer. Number one, Bling is my thing. And I, and I also give a big look to number eight, Queen of the Sand. She's kind yes, of an right. in-and-outer, and she needs every break to go her way. She did not get her break last time out. That was in the game league. She finished eighth of ten and basically just ran around the track. But that was the day when the pace was slow and the, the, the speed just did not back up, and the deep closers, like Queen of the Sand, really had no shot. So Bayerano takes over on Queen of the Sand. I mentioned the pace scenario earlier. It should be a little bit quicker up on the front end. I think Queen of the Sand has an upset chance. But, yeah, you're right. The game we should produce the winner of the Royal Heroine. Bling is my thing, Fanticola and Queen of the Sand. And believe it or not, I actually give a look to number two, Generosidade from Uruguay, who finished seventh in the game league in her U.S. debut. Trainer Paulo Lobo is having a completely forgettable 2015 so far. He's 0 for 32, but this is a good horseman. And Generosidade, I don't know, I may have mispronounced that, but it's the number two filly. She's a six-year-old mare. She's 20 to 1 on the morning line. She only got beat a little bit over two lengths in the game league, and I give her a look with a race under her belt. If you're looking for a crazy bomber, Take a look at the two horse coming out of the game when he was paced to run at. She will be finishing. Well, I, I like the way you look at this race, and, and using your theory, I'm going to keep an eye on the odds board because the horse, as you were describing this this race and the game late, uh, was queen of the sand because I figure using the same logic as bling is my thing, um, I, I don't handicap with odds in my form. Um, I'm just wondering what what is Queen of the Sand listed as right now? I'm just, if I'm just looking at value or horses to to put underneath. Well, she's listed at the same price as Bling is my thing. They're both four to one, and they both have similar running styles. And one's ridden by Tyler Bays, the other one by Rafael Bayerano. and uh, you know they have very equal chances in this in this race, and it's just going to depend on who gets the trip and if the pace does unfold as quickly as I hope it does. Um, but they're both four to one. The favorite is number is number seven, Fanticola, at odds of seven to two. I was hoping you'd say fourteen to one. Yeah, I know that's the way it well, goes. Well, two starts back, she was a big price at uh, nearly seven to one. That was in the Grade Three Santa Barbara, and she got the type of trip that I can envision her possibly getting on Saturday. And she was up to defeat Fanticola by a nose. Well, uh, let's let's move forward to a very important uh, race in racing. It's the Gold Cup. It's a grade one. We've got a half a million dollar on the line. And 
quite frankly, just like the uh, the other two races, these are horses that you've had a chance to lay your eyes on. And once again, we're going stretching out another furlong rather than turning back uh, to uh, a mile and a quarter uh, is are the most dangerous horses in the Gold Cup coming out of the Californian uh, with the uh, the top finishers in here. Yeah, they are. The one-two finishers from the Californian, I think, are the horses to beat in the Gold Cup. This is probably not the strongest Gold Cup field that we've ever seen. You know, when Shared Belief went to the sidelines and California Chrome became a world traveler, uh, the handicap division out in California was kind of left wanting. And if you would have said back in January that, oh, there's an allowance horse that's going to be the favorite in the Gold Cup, I'd say you were crazy. And if you said there's a claiming horse that actually has a shot to win the Gold Cup, I'd say, yeah, you're still crazy. But that's the case with Catch a Flight, who made his U.S. debut in January in one other than. He was from Argentina. He won five allowance races in Argentina. The two times he ran in group company, he was dusted. But under the tutelage of trainer Dick Mandela, he has gradually improved, and he went from a one-other-than win in February to a respectable third-place finish in the Santa Anita Handicap. He got a two-month break and came back and won the grade three precisionist, the grade two Californian, and now he's going to try to stretch out another eighth of a mile and knock off a grade one. He's the five-to-two favorite under jockey Gary Stevens, but I think that the horse he defeated last time out, if he gets the right trip, might be able to turn the tables, and that's number eight, Marino, who really ran too good to lose last time out in the Californian. He was up there kind of pressing the pace. He was in front of Catch a Flight early, and he, I think the jockey on Moreno pulled the trigger a little bit too soon. He actually didn't pull the trigger. He pushed the button and put this horse under a drive at about the 5-16th pole. He gained a little bit of separation from Catch a Flight. Catch a Flight came to him, and then Moreno tried to battle back on the inside, but ultimately it was Catch a Flight that inched clear to win by a half length. Now, the, the challenge for Moreno is this. He's a front-runner pace presser, and he does not really want to engage in a duel with anyone and there are a couple speed horses in here that could kind of compromise his chances up front. Specifically, number one, Body Man, who is a two-other-than winner with just one way to go from the rail. He will be using his speed. And number seven, Big Casanova, who was the horse that Marino pressed last time out. So Marino, if he can relax right off the pace, and sometimes the, uh, the pace of these races, when it looks like there's all kinds of speed, Sometimes the pace comes up a little bit more kind than anticipated. Here's a perfect example. We saw it happen on the first Saturday in May in the Kentucky Derby. We were talking for you know several weeks that it sure looks like this race should unfold at a very rapid clip. But, in fact, the Kentucky Derby did not unfold at a fast pace at all. And the 1-2-3 pace setters were 1-2-3 at the wire. So uh, my point is this. Sometimes these long-distance races that appear to have a whole lot of speed, sometimes the pace backs up and becomes a little bit more kind than anticipated. And if Moreno can get into a, a nice, even, steady rhythm, sitting third behind those two frontrunners, Body Man and Big Casanova, he might be able to get the well. He will get the jump on Catch a Flight, and we'll do, we'll see if he's good enough to hold him off, and we'll see if Catch a Flight is maybe good enough to get that extra eighth of a mile because he's certainly on a roll right now. But I like I kind of like Marino to spring a potential upset. And as far as the claiming horse that I mentioned earlier that actually has a chance to win this race, number four Motown Men has really taken his game to a new level since he was claimed four starts back for forty thousand 
by trainer Ted West. And this would not be the first claiming horse that uh, West has resurrected and become a top-class handicap horse. Blue's the standard and Bud Royale come to mind. And Motown Men kind of fits that same billing. He's a six-year-old gelding, and he was just kind of banging around in the allowance ranks. He was running in gra- on grass and on synthetic. And West thought he would be a, a, a good claim. He thought he'd be a useful claim, and he planned to put him on dirt. Well, the first dirt race that he ran him on, all that uh, Motown men did was win by more than seven lengths. He came back and finished a respectable third in the precisionist behind Catch a Flight, and then last time out, it looks like his buyer speed figures are declining, and they are, from 103 to 98 to 89, but that 89 buyer speed figure does not do justice to how well Motown men ran last time out. He broke from post nine and was caught extremely wide into the first turn, five wide. This is a pace-pressing frontrunner that is usually in the race early, but he was caught five wide. Jockey Tyler Bays took him down to the inside. He was in the rear half of the field. He rallied inside through the far turn and was able to wear down spirit rules and win going away. The speed figure... All right, well, we'll listen to Brad Free. Brad, my producer's kind of knocking on the window saying, John... Brad's sounding great, but I think we've got to go. Okay. I really appreciate that the time you no just spent with us. Great insight into the races at Santa Anita, and I appreciate you being on Winning Ponies. No trouble. Anytime, John. All right. Thanks a lot. That was Brad Free. I want to thank Mary, Pamp- Mary Rampolini, and I want to thank you for listening to Winning Ponies. Come back and join us next week. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.